as you're grabbing your seats, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have those. And if you need one, there's one on the chairs there in front of you or underneath you. If you're using one of those from the, uh, the chairs there, you're going to page 1320. Page 1320, page 1320. If you have your own Bible, we're all going to Ephesians chapter 4. So we've been in Ephesians the last couple weeks. We're just going to go one chapter uh, earlier than what we've been in. Uh, as you're turning there, let me, let me uh, parents in here, if you have young kids, if you typically keep them in the, the service, next week and the week after would be the week you might want to consider not keeping them in the service. Those will be the last two messages of our series, and uh, those uh, topics may be things that you're not ready to explain to your kids yet. So if they're of that age where you're not ready to explain to them yet, you may want to either send them out to kids' church or, or make some kind of arrangement. I will not be explicit, but I will be using words that you may not want to explain. Is that fair enough? Hey, and I'll, I'll shoot an email out and remind you of that throughout the week this week, but that's the next two messages. So just to kind of give you a feel, um, the, the, the title for next week is Taking the Temperature, and the one after that is about protecting your marriage from uh, attacks on the outside. Okay, so we're calling that ensuring your marriage. So those topics kind of just get a little bit in an area where you may not want to educate them yet. But today, safe, totally safe today. It's family-friendly for the whole family this morning. So we're continuing in our, our message this, uh, series this morning, Marriage by the Book. We've been in this for most of the summer. We took a two-week break. But the, the, the goal in, in this, uh, this series is to try to lay a foundation for what God intends and what His purpose is behind marriage. And so we saw the first week that your marriage is more about God than it is about you. I heard one, thank you. And then so uh, we, we saw that God, uh, marriage was God's idea and that the way that marriage is supposed to work and the way it's designed is so that it would actually reflect who God is. So that in a marriage, God has so designed the role of the husband and the wife that as they operate in the way that God has intended them, you actually get a picture of the way God relates to people. And so the next week we looked at the role of the husband, and we saw that uh, the role of the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. So that in the way that you, you see a husband loving his wife, if he's doing it in, in accordance with God's intent and purposes, you should see a reflection of God's love for sinful people. People who were not necessarily loving him back but who God chose to move toward in love. And then uh, the, we, we took two weeks off, and then last week we looked at the role of the wife. And we, we, we read that our wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, and what it's supposed to picture is the relationship of the church to Christ. And so that if you're looking at a marriage and it's being, it's being done the way God intended and designed it, that in the way that the, husband, uh, the wife responds to her husband, you should see in it a, a, an example of how the church, that is anybody who's placed their trust in Christ, responds and submits themselves to Christ. And so God's intent in marriage goes far beyond just our happiness. It goes far beyond anything you and I can ever imagine. And before all of creation, He had designed and intended it to communicate those things. And now this week, so we've been looking at it, we've taken this house analogy, like building the foundation. The last two weeks we were kind of building the frame, kind of putting the house up. This week we've kind of settled in. You, you get to go live in your house now. Uh, and you kind of start to, to, to settle into that house, and you start to notice some things about the house. You know, maybe you just moved into the house, and you're starting to settle in, and, you know, at first you, you thought it was all great, and you didn't notice certain things, but then you start settling, and you notice things that you didn't notice before. And in a marriage, you start to settle into your marriage, and all of a sudden that, 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 glide, that glaze in your eyes starts to kind of wear down, and, and now all of a sudden you're no longer blinded by love, right? And, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, well, I didn't see that habit that you have. I've never noticed this. Or, hey, living with you is a whole lot different.
and so you try to start selling, and, and, it, and it starts to become work. You've got to start to maintain and, and, and work to keep think, um, pushing things forward. So marriage is the same way. And so this morning we're going to talk about communication in marriage. And so anytime I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, we always have usually around the third session or so communication. And that goes a whole lot of different directions, you know, because communication kind of interweaves into every area of marriage. But communication is key in marriage. If you don't know how to communicate, you're not going to really survive that marriage. And that marriage certainly is not going to thrive. And so what I wanted to try to do this morning is there's so many different areas of communication. I I, I wanted to just, I had to pick just one. So we're going to talk about words this morning. We're going to talk about how I how we use our, our words in marriage. And if you're not married this morning, this is going to be obviously directly applicable to you in any relationship that you have. Because we all use words. And you know, words are, words are a pretty powerful thing. I mean, think about it. Who was the first to speak? God. I mean, you go back to the beginning and you read in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then you, you jump down a few verses, and it says, and God said... Let there be light. God created by speaking, by, by using words. That's powerful. I mean, God is the one who, who created language, right? I mean, God doesn't need language. We need language so that we can communicate ultimately with God and understand the things of God, but then with each other. God created language. And, and of all things that God has created, at the end of his creation in Genesis 1:31, he says, all was good. God created language. God created words to be used for good. But as with everything uh, that, that God has created for good, it can be corrupted. It, 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 can, it can be used sinfully. And so as you kind of track the story of God and you're going through and you get to chapter 2, you, you see that he got, he's got man and he's got woman in the garden. They're, 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 they're communicating. This is before sin entered the world. And that, at that time, their words would have matched up in accordance with what God intended for their words to be. They, they would have been using their language in the way God fully intended it to be. But as you keep tracking that story, you get to Genesis chapter 3, and, and another character comes into this story, and, and it's Satan disguised as a serpent, and he starts to speak, to eat. And he starts to corrupt the words. And he takes the very words of God that were spoken to Adam about which tree he should not eat from and, and the consequences. And he starts to corrupt that speech. And he uses that speech to manipulate. And he uses that those words uh, to, to deceive. And now Eve is, is willfully giving in to those corrupted words and the deception. And now sin enters into the human race. And ever since then, that sin has impacted every area of our lives, including our words. And so while words are good and, and God intended them for good, we struggle with words now. I mean, the Apostle James in the New Testament wrote a book called James. And, and in that, that, that letter he's writing, he talks about the tongue. And he says it's one of the hardest things to tame. Like people can tame wild animals, but you can't tame your tongue. And if you were to read through the book of Proverbs, you're going to find all kinds of things about speech. I mean, how many of you have ever had a fight or an argument in your marriage or any relationship that started because you said something you shouldn't have said? Or maybe it, two hands, or maybe it escalated because you said something that you knew, as soon as I say this, the, the fire is like just pouring lighter fluid on us. But you said it anyway. Or, or maybe it just felt so good to say it, 
and you weren't really concerned with the, the ramifications. See, now I've had a week like that, not necessarily in my marriage. I'm sure I've had moments. You could ask, Lindsay, please don't ask her, but you could ask her, and I'm sure she'd have examples. But I've really struggled this week with my words with my kids. And, and maybe I've always had this, but I was just paying attention to it more because I'm preaching on it this week. And, and God kind of does that to us when we preach on something. He's like, let me show you where this is in your life. And I mean, I just, all of a sudden, my eyes were opened up to how much I struggle to use my words the way God intended me to use my words. Now, for some of you, if you like to talk, this is especially a hard struggle. Others of you, if you're not much of a talker, you probably don't get into this as much. But we all deal with this. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how did God intend us to use our words? How can we use that in marriage and in and, uh, and any of our relationships? And so here's where we're going. Use your words to add value to others. If I can sum it up today, this is we're looking at one verse uh, that, that we're going to primarily spend time in. And it's this, use your words to add value to others. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And the same, same, same letter we've been in the last couple of weeks, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says this, You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so let's take a look at that. We'll break it into two parts. The first part I want to talk about, we need to guard our words. We need to guard our words. The first, first part of that, you must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. So that's where Paul is. He's, he's talking to people who have trusted in Christ, who are part of the church, and he's saying, hey, the, the way you speak needs to be different because you are different. Right? And he says, here's what, here's what you need to be aware of. Don't let anything that's unwholesome come out of your mouth. Unwholesome. Uh, that, that, that word there, it would be like if you're walking up to a peach tree or an apple tree or, or some kind of fruit tree or, or plant, and, and you find some fruit on the ground. And it, and it looks okay, and then you pick it up, and then on the underside, it's got that black mold. It's just kind of soft when you touch it. Maybe you're, you're pulling some grapes out of the carton, and you get those that are kind of moldy and, and squishy. It, it's, it's just spoiled. It's rotten. It's no good. It's no use. It has no value. That's the word Paul's using here. He says, let no unwholesome words that contain no value. Don't let those kind of words come out of your mouth. Words that are rotten. Words that are corrupted. Words that that are no use. Don't let those kind of words come out of your mouth. A couple years ago, uh, when our our oldest was younger, um, with our first child, we did things a lot different than we did with number two and number three. You get that, right? Parents, I mean, you get that. Okay, so with the first child, man, we were all about nutrition. And now we're not like, you know, anti-nutrition now, but we're not like this anymore, right? And so we would go to this restaurant. You know, a lot of times it's called Sweet Tomato in, um, in uh, Oklahoma. I mean, not, not Oklahoma, Texas where we live. And, you know, soup bar and salad bar, and you get all these vegetables and raw vegetables and all that kind of stuff. Well, it was eat free if you're two and under. And so we would load our oldest's plate up with broccoli and carrots and celery and cauliflower and tomatoes and I mean, everything. And she would eat it because she didn't know any better. We, like, we really restricted her from, from, from uh, sugars. She didn't know any better. She loved it, right? And people were amazed at that. Some of you guys have kids like that, that, that they're just eating stuff, and people are just amazed that kids eat that stuff. Okay? But it was like kind of that kind of mentality. And so we just kept talking to her as she got older, and we would explain to her about the nutritional value in certain foods and how other foods, it, it just had no nutritional value. So there came a day, our, our second had been born, and 
some of my brothers were over visiting at our apartment in Houston. And uh, there's these things that we would use to feed the, the kids when they're little. Um, they're called puffs. Right? If you're older, you just gave them Cheerios. But these are like the, the new and improved Cheerios for kids. They're called puffs. And they come in different flavors. And that's basically all they are. But they have no nutritional value, right? It's just really just to keep your kid busy and quiet and, and make them think that they're, they're getting something to eat. And so my little brother, one of my little brothers was given uh, our, our second born some of these puffs. Well, Karis, because we had had these conversations before, informed my little brother that those puffs had no nutritional value. So, so you know, she, she got the message. It, it's kind of like that. As Paul is talking about, don't use words that have no nutritional value for others. Don't, don't use words that are wasteful. Don't use words in a way that's corrupt, spoiled, rotten. He says that's the kind of words that should not characterize you and me if we call ourselves followers of Christ. Those words should not come from us. No unwholesome words. God intended words to be used for good. He created words. But when we start to use unwholesome words, when we start to use corrupted words, when we start to use words that have no value, that's an impact of sin. That, that, that is part of sin taking its effect on us and the way we use things that God has created for good. You see, when we, if we're a believer, if we're somebody who's placed our trust in Christ, then we have a new nature that God has given us. He's taken someone that the scriptures say is spiritually dead and he's made us spiritually new, made us spiritually alive. But when we are people uh, who are spiritually made alive, but we speak unwholesome words, corrupt words, rotten words, we're not speaking out of that new nature that God has given us. We're speaking in accordance with the old nature that God took away from us, that he, he put to death in us. That shouldn't be the case. And so Paul says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. And see that second part there? Come out of your mouth. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Words come out of our mouth. But it goes a lot deeper than that. You, you see, you might just think, man, I just run my mouth too much, and I wouldn't run my mouth too much, and I wouldn't say things that, that, you know, I don't mean to say. But even right there, if we dig a little bit, and we seek to understand where words come from, Jesus tells us they come from somewhere else. That it's not just us running our mouth. You ever had a moment where you said something and you, you wish you never said it? And so you, you know that it hurt the person you said. You said it to your wife. You said it to your husband. And then the next thing on your mouth was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Check this out. We go to Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 45. If you want to, you can turn now. I've got to have it up here. Here's what Jesus says about the words that come out of our mouth. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from brambles. The good person out of the good treasury of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasury produces evil. For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. So Jesus is taking this analogy of tree. He says, you know a tree by the fruit that's growing on it. Right? A fig tree doesn't grow on an apple tree. He says, you can tell a tree by the way it's with a type of fruit that grows on it. And a good tree, if it's healthy, it's going to produce good and healthy fruit. A bad tree, if it's not healthy, if it's rotten, it's not going to produce good and healthy fruit. You can tell that. And he says the same is true with your words. You can tell if the, the core is good. And when he says good, he's talking about righteous in the sense of God. Not just like good in the sense that maybe you and I would water it down. You can tell a person's heart 
comes out of their mouth. You see that last part there? For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. So that moment we're in a marriage and we, we say something hurtful, and then the next word out of our mouth is, I didn't mean it. That's not accurate. We did mean it. We meant it in the moment. What maybe we're saying in that moment is, I regret that I said it. I, I regret that it escaped my mouth. I regret that it hurts you and now I see that. Or I regret now the consequences that I'm going to experience because I said that. Right? But in that moment, at the very least, whether I, whether I mean it all the time or not, in that moment, it came out of my mouth because it was in my heart. So if I call you a name in my anger... It's not that oops that slipped that was an accident. My heart was filled with anger. And what came out of that was an intent to hurt you in that anger. That's why that name came out. Now, I may regret that I didn't have enough self-control to keep it in. But I meant it in that moment. And see, so the first thing we've got to realize as we're dealing with marriages or relationships is the words that come out of our mouth, we mean them. We mean them. We need to, we need to then say, man, I, I'm surprised that came out of my mouth, or I wish I didn't. I need to next go and say, what was in my heart that that came out? See, that if we don't go to the heart, then we're not going to fix our word problems. Because if we have a problem with words, the, 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 the reality is we have a problem with our heart. If our words are hurtful and they're cutting people or they're, they're, they're being used to degrade people, they're worse, worthless, they're corrupt, they're valueless, that's what's in our heart. Toward that person, toward God, toward our situation, whatever. And if you're angry at a situation, that's usually because you're angry at God for allowing you in that situation. But we've got to be realistic and identify that the words that come out of our mouth, they come from our heart. Even if it's just in that moment, that came out of what's in my heart. So if I want to fix my words, I've got to deal with my heart. i got to deal with my heart. Because Jesus tells us, what comes out of your mouth was sourced in your heart. Unwholesome words, unfruitful words, corrupt words, it's an impact of sin. And it's the, the, the sin taking effect in our heart, taking root in our heart. And when we encourage it, when we allow it, when we let it fester, then it just builds there. So maybe I've got a problem with words toward a particular person. Well, I need to examine my heart and my attitudes toward that person. Maybe I've got a, uh, an attitude or an issue with my words toward a particular group of people. Well, I need to deal with my heart. I need to see what's there toward that group of people. Maybe I'm constantly aggravated with my husband or my wife. Maybe I'm, I'm constantly just got this low simmer of anger toward them or I'm irritated by them. I need to deal with what's in my heart because what's coming out of my mouth is just reflecting what's in my heart. And that's going to produce unvaluable, worthless, corrupt words. So then what are we supposed to do, Paul? No, no unwholesome words come out of our mouth. First, we're supposed to guard our words. We need to watch what comes out of our mouth, and in doing so, we need to examine our heart. But then we need to look at using our words in the way God intended it. Let's give our words as a gift. Let's gift our words to others. And here's what he says in the second part of that verse. So don't let your uh, unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. Only what is beneficial. The word there is valuable uncorrupt, right? Useful. So if you're taking that fruit analogy again, these are the good fruit on the tree that you can use for nutritional value. These are these are the fruits on the trees that you can uh, benefit from eating. They have value. And so Paul says, don't, don't use words that are valueless. Use words that have 
value or use your words in a way that they add value. Use what's, uh, but only what is beneficial. Only what is beneficial. So the words that come out of my mouth, the question you've got to be asking is, are they going to be beneficial? Are they going to add value? Are they going to be useful? Or the words that are about to come out of my mouth, are they going to be corrupt? Are they going to be wasteful? Are they going to have no nutritional value to the person I'm about to speak to? Paul says our words need to have value. They need to benefit others. And then he goes on, he says, for the building up of the one in me. We need to use our words with others in mind. Right? The way God intends us to use our words is in, in our communication, especially in our marriage and our relationship, is for the benefit of someone else. But how often in a marriage, in the middle of a fight, in an argument, or a friendship, or a relationship, we're using our words to make me feel good. Right this week, again, I told you, I, had, I mean, I struggled with my words this week, and I will continue to struggle with my words with the kids. It's just, it's, it's there, right? And, and, and so there was a night this week. We were out late every night this week, and so, you know, we put our kids to bed at 7.30 every night, and I don't care if you go to sleep, but you stay in your room and be quiet. Because it's adult time at that point, right? And so when the kids start to come out after that, it just starts to kind of rise up in me. You're invading my time. Right? This is, this is adult time. We, we need some space from you right now. Right? And, and so that happened. You know, we, we were putting them down later, and so that throws everything off. Right? And so there were nights where 9 o'clock, they're not even asleep yet. They're not even getting in bed yet. We're going, you need to get in bed. Right? And then we finally get them in bed, and then they're goofing off, and they're giggling, and they're laughing loud. We're just like, we're ready for bed. Right? We're, we're going to climb bed, and our kids aren't even asleep yet. Right? And there's a couple nights, you know, I, I was grumbling, and Lindsay said something to me, and uh, I was about to go in there, and she would stop me from going in there, and, 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 I, and she said, what are you going to say? I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to say. And then I told her what I was going to say, right? Now, truth be told, had I gone in there and said that, some nights I did go in there in moments like that and say things, and it benefited no one, but it made me feel good, right? I went in there, and I said what I needed to say. Right? I mean, I issued some threats. I, I laid down consequences that I knew I wasn't going to be able to back up. And I said them in a stern, dad type of way. Right? And it made me feel real good. I got it said. But it didn't benefit them in any way. Right? There was no value in the, the words that I was using and the way I was speaking to them. It did not build them up. I wasn't considering them in the way I was speaking. I was considering me. I'm going to say this to you because it's going to make me feel good. I'm just going to get this off my chest. You need to hear this. But in all of that, none of me was going, in this moment, what's the best way that I can build my kids up? doesn't mean I can't discipline them, by the way. Disciplining is building your kid up. Okay? Right? If it's done in in a good and loving way. Right? I'm, I'm saying what I was approaching it as was not for their benefit. It was all about me. How often in our arguments do we just start throwing words around because it makes me feel good? Oh, yeah? Yeah? Well, let me tell you what I'm thinking, right? Paul says we need to consider others in the way that we speak and use our words. We need to build up the one who's in need. So who is it that you're talking to? Who is it that you're in a relationship with that you're communicating with? Are you asking yourself, are you asking God, help me to see what their need is in this moment. Help me to get past my need and to see what their need is so that I can speak and use my words in a way that meets their need. Let me tell you, that's not natural. For people who are impacted and affected by sin, that is not natural. 
for us to think about what other people need. And certainly in the midst of an argument, in the midst of a fight, in the midst of passionate discussions, whatever you call that in your marriage, right? Then it's not easy. Because there comes a point where you just hit a fall. And that's a physiological thing. You just go into a fall. And like you can't remember anything, but you just start speaking. It's like an outer body experience. And there is something, there's research to back that, that when you get angry, when you get frustrated, when you get heated, there is chemicals that get sent to the front of your brain and they fog up your thinking. That's why we call it a fog. And in that fog, you no longer are thinking about what you're saying. It's just coming out. It's like an outer body experience. You are literally in a fog. And a lot of times we get to that spot and we just start to operate in it. Earth starts to, to build up, and hateful things are said, and it's just a dirty cycle that just keeps happening. And we're not looking to build up the one who's in need. We're just trying to take it ourselves. Paul says, your words should be used to build up the one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. God intends our words to be used for far more than we ever intended. Our words have the ability to give grace to those who hear it. That, that, that may mean our words have the ability to benefit, to show kindness to them. But think about the grace that we've been shown. If we as people who have been redeemed, if we've trusted in Christ and we've, we've been brought into God's family, called his son or daughter, that our words should reflect him and point to him. And so I have the ability now, someone who's been made alive by God, who's been given his spirit, I have an ability to redeem my words and, and, and to use my words in a way that whoever I'm speaking to and whoever hears them, think little kids' ears, when you're having an argument, husband and wife, that anyone who hears my words, it gives them grace. Does it point them to God? Does the way that I use my words, is the way that I speak to my wife, the way that I speak to and about my husband, does that give grace? Does that point people that are listening to that to God? Does that deter them from God? I claim to be a Christ follower, and I speak about my wife like she's an object, or I speak with bitterness about her. Do you think the people that are listening to that are going to be pointed to God? If I'm a wife and I'm speaking about my husband like he's an imbecile, like he's good for nothing, like like I, I just got the worst man in the world, do you think that the people who are hearing that are going to be pointed toward the Lord? Words have such power. And Paul says our words need to be used to give value. I value to others. They need to be used to point others to the Lord. So, what I want to do is something real practical here. So when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, we talk about a few things. Every, every, every couple I counsel, we go through this, and then we hit other specific needs. So you've been in an argument, and it started out, someone said something, made you mad, hurt you, and then before you knew it, you guys are just in this long, drawn-out argument. could be a marriage, could be a relationship, friendship, whatever. And it just seems like it went from zero to 60 like nothing. And you just got into this cycle. And you did. And so I want to I help you identify the cycle. Because sometimes, as believers, as people who are redeemed by God, we still struggle with words. And we're no, we're, we're no different in the, in the struggles that we experience. We're different in that we have the equipping from God and the empowerment of the Spirit. 
And we have this new nature that God is constantly working in us. But it doesn't mean we don't struggle with our work. And sometimes we get into these cycles. Like I said, you hit that fall. And someone said something made you so mad you're just no longer thinking straight. And now you're just going in this cycle. You say something, they say something, name calling. Maybe it escalates and escalates and they're throwing up things if you're, if you're that level. And then eventually someone just slams the door and walks out. There's a cycle that's taking place. And sometimes you just need to break the cycle. So here's the cycle. For example, we're just going to start with the husband. It can be flipped very easily on any given day or moment. Husband and wife. Wife does something, says something, pushes the husband's buttons. That could be something that makes him mad. That could be something that shows disrespect. This cycle, by the way, is called the fear dance. And it's from Gary Smalley. He has a book called The DNA of Relationships. And what he explains is that button is usually tied to a deep-seated fear. Insecurity. Uh, for a man, a lot of times it's going to be, I'm not respected. And so anytime the wife says something or does something that communicates a disrespect, that goes real deep. Right? And so maybe she says something that, 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 that just undercuts that and, and, and pushes his button and he's not feeling respected. And so he reacts. His reaction then uh, toward, toward his wife's uh, disrespect or pushing his button leads to her buttons being pushed. And so now, and, and, his, and his button being pushed, he reacts and he says something harsh. Yeah, well, you're an idiot anyway. And now what that's done for the wife is that's cut her. That's hurt her. And a lot of times for the woman, what's at the very root of those buttons is, is am I loved? Am I cherished? Am I secure with you? And so when you insult your wife, when you call her a name, when you undercut her or speak harshly to her, it goes to that very that very root, root fear there. And so now her button's pushed. And what's she going to do? She's going to react. And in her reaction, it's going to in turn push the button of the husband again, right? And so maybe now she says, yeah, well, you don't do anything good for this family. Oh, really? Well, you don't keep the house clean. Oh, so you're saying I don't work, right? And it just keeps going and going. Have you ever had something like that? Maybe not that specific example, but it just starts and you're trading off and you're just it's just going to escalate and escalate and escalate. And guess what? At some point, it, it's not going to be able to escalate anymore. And, and, and in extreme cases, this becomes very abusive. This becomes physical. And in other cases, maybe it's a, I'm walking out, and someone just slams the door and walks out. And trump card because, hey, I'm not there. I'm not finishing this. Right? So that's the cycle. We all do it. Pick a relationship, especially in marriage, because you're always, you're always rubbing in marriage. You're always, you're always uh, you know, conflicting in marriage. But pick any relationship, and this cycle happens. Sometimes you got to just break it. And here's the thing about breaking it. Here's what I always tell the couple. It doesn't matter who breaks it. Like, there's no pride to be won in who identifies it first and breaks it. In other words, if you identify and go, I'm breaking the cycle, don't use that as like your trump card to say, I identified it first. Because you're going to start that cycle all over again, right? So just break it. But how do you break it? Because sometimes you just need to step away. And there's two practical things I want to give you that I, I give every couple and there's other things, but these are some of the most helpful. And it, it, you've heard it. Take a time out. Take a time out. But I need to qualify what that means. A time out is not one person storming out, walking out, slamming the door, and leaving. That's abandonment. That's not a time out. You see, because if that's going to happen, then the person left is left going, when is this going to 
conclude? When are we going to pick this back up? Are you coming back? Did, did, did we just cross the line? Now, see, a timeout is a mutual agreement. A timeout is you're both agreeing to step away from it. See, both are making the decision. We're going to step away from it for an agreed-upon time, but in, we're coming back to this. Right? So that's different than just storming out. Don't walk out on your wife in the middle of an argument. Don't walk out on your husband in the middle, middle of an argument. I know it feels good. I, I, I'm guilty of it, too. I, I know it, it's easy to do because you just want to be done with it. You get so frustrated, and you just need to end it. But then it does more damage. Instead, if you say, you know what? Whoever, again, doesn't matter who, we need, to, we need to pause this for a moment. And it may be for an hour. It may be for two. It may be for a day. But you need to pause it. And you need to both go do something. Whether that's so you go work out, you go do some chores, you go run some errands, you just go to your room and you be alone, whatever. You just separate. Because you've got to let that physiological effect that's taking place, that fog, you need to let that clear. And you need to simmer down a little bit. Both of you. And use that time and that time out. And you start praying. God, show me. Show me what I need to see in this. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me my part. And if you're both if you're both praying that prayer and you're open to God speaking, then when it's time to come back, hopefully you've had a change of heart. Hopefully the Spirit has gotten a hold of you. Hopefully you're both coming and you're prepared to apologize to one another for the hurt. Hopefully you're prepared to repent for the wrong or the sin. But the timeout is an agreed-upon thing. You're both agreeing on stepping away from this, but we're coming back to this. Okay? We're coming back to this. Now, here's the other thing. If your timeout needs to be overnight, you know, there's that verse in Ephesians 4 that says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Um, I'm not one who, who thinks that that needs to necessarily be applied absolutely literally. In other words, if you're, if you're in the middle of a fight, some people will say, We're staying up until we conclude this. My wife and I did this early on. It was no good. It got worse and worse the later in the night we went. And what we found was sometimes a little sleep goes a long way. But here's what that verse says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Not your fight. Not your argument. Not your dispute. I need to deal with my anger before I go to sleep. I, I can go to sleep in the middle of an unresolved conflict, but we need to make sure that, hey, we, we've got some tension here. We're not resolving this conflict. We're not on the same page. I need to be apologizing for what I've said to hurt you. I need to repent of whatever I've done. That's I can deal with that before I go to sleep. Otherwise, I'm going to let that fester overnight, and I'm going to wake up, and you've been there, and you're just ramped up, ready to go already. You start your day like that. It says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with that. But man, if you need sleep because you're both tired, it may be that your fight, your argument is escalating because you're tired. And the best thing that you can do is get some sleep, rest your body, rest your mind, and then come back to that. Sometimes the timeout for a day or so is good. And you just need to say, let's talk about this in the morning before the kids wake up. But let's talk about this tomorrow evening. Because maybe you got into it while the kids are awake, and that's no good either. Because you can't really do that at the same time. So timeout, you need to stop the cycle. Timeout will break the cycle. And then lastly, the other practical thing is this. So when we come back from our timeout, we've just been in that cycle. How am I supposed to get through that conversation? How am I supposed to have a discussion, especially about heated, passionate things? Because every time we try, it just starts to spin up again. And we're just going to continue in this cycle. And so there's this, this technique I, I give. It's called the listener-speaker technique. That's just the name of it. It came right out of a marriage book. I think it's called Fighting Through Marriage. 
And uh, it's called the listener-speaker technique. It's very childish. It feels like childishness. And you'll understand that as soon as I explain to you. But it's extremely helpful. Here's how it plays out. Me and my wife, we can't get through a conversation about something. Because we're both so passionate about it. So we've got to figure out a way to slow that down. So, let's say I start. I'm going to say whatever it is I need to say to start that conversation. While I'm saying that, my wife cannot interrupt. She cannot jump in to clarify anything. She can't, she can't ask any questions. She just needs to listen while I say what I need to say. I finish saying what I need to say. She doesn't get to respond yet. Instead, she needs to paraphrase back to me what I just said. Okay, I think what I understand, I hear you saying is this. And put it in her own words. Now, I'm listening, and I'm trying to decide that she get it. Do I feel like she understands what I just said? And if she gets it, if I listen to her paraphrase and I say, yeah, that's, that's correct, then it's her turn. If she doesn't get it, if I'm listening to her and I'm going, no, I don't think you're tracking with me right now, then I'm going to say, nope, that's not what I meant, and I'm going to do it again. And so I'm going to go back to, I'm going to explain it in a different way because it didn't make sense the first time, right? Or I didn't explain it clearly enough the first time. So I'm going to try to do it in a different way, but the same rule applies. She's not going to interrupt. She's not going to, to listen. I mean, I mean, she's going to listen. She's not going to um, try to clarify anything, right? She's just going to listen, and then she's going to paraphrase back to me. As soon as I say, yes, you got it, now it's her turn, and she can respond. She can say what she needs to say, and while she's doing that, I don't get to interrupt. I don't get to ask clarifying questions. I'm just listening. I'm not formulating my answer. I'm not formulating a defense. I'm not doing anything. I'm listening. And then when she's done responding, then I paraphrase back to her. Okay, I think what you're saying, or the reason you did this, or you acted that way, is because you thought, and I'm paraphrasing it. And she'll say, yes, you got it, or nope, you missed it. If she says yes, then we just trade off that way. Okay, now, that's very childish, right? It's like, do I have to actually learn how to have a conversation? Yes, we do. And especially when we're heated and when we're passionate. This slows you down. It really slows you down because it forces you to listen. Now, here's, here's how that's played out for us. Now, we've not had every moment that we've used that where it gets us through the entire conversation before we blow up and get frustrated. No, you just can't understand. How can I explain this in a different way? Right? But it gets us through it than we have done before. And then maybe we got to take another time out. And then we come back to it. And the goal is it's taking us a little bit further, a little bit further. But I'm breaking the cycle, and that's helping me, one, control my words, pay attention to my words, right? Because I want to use my words in a way that are beneficial, that adds value to someone. But if I just operate in a cycle, I'm operating in this fog, and I'm just spewing out words that I need to say, I'm not thinking about the needs of others, then that's corrupt speech. That's, that's rotten. That's, that's unuseful. I slow myself down, and as I'm listening and I'm doing this technique, I'm also praying that it helps me to understand. Help me to understand. God, show me my heart. God, humble me. God, God, give me the words. You know, I'm interacting with God in the midst of all that. If you're both doing that, then this kind of thing might help you get further. And maybe even further faster. Okay, so... So it may seem childish, but man, we, we can swear by it. It works. We feel foolish when we do it, but man, it helps us get through tough conversations. And it slows you down. Words are hard to control. Our tongue is hard. Jeff, you can go into that. Our, our words are hard to control. And listen, 
It's not as easy. If you think that all i got to do is start thinking positively. All i got to do is just change my thought patterns and, and start working on my words. You know, just, I'm just going to be disciplined. I mean, that's, that's part of it. But, man, you can't just discipline yourself to train yourself in how you speak the words. You can't just start thinking positively and that solve your problem because your words come out of your heart. And so if you've got a word issue and all you try, learn to do is deal with controlling the word so it doesn't come out, but you've never dealt with the heart, you haven't dealt with the problem. Maybe you're just saving yourself some external conflict, but before God, and in reality, you've not changed anything. You've not grown. You've just become a master manipulator of the word. And that's no good. There's a lot of positivity. There's a lot of good positive, encouraging speech. That's great. And some of you, you do need to do that. Some of you, that's part of it. And that would be straight biblical for Philippians 4, about thinking things that are pure and holy and, and good and thinking things that are in line with God. That's a good thing. And then there's a lot of positive speech, a lot of encouragement that does not need to happen because it's not for the benefit of that person. There's a lot of positive, encouraging speech that may be more damaging than it is beneficial because sometimes, if I'm considering the person in need, Sometimes I need to use my words to lovingly confront them with truth. And that may not be positive. That may not be encouraging. But it might be beneficial. See, I've got to consider the need of the person. And, and sometimes that positive speech, if that's all we settle ourselves on and we don't go deeper than that, man, we might be encouraging people who don't need to be encouraged. We might be encouraging people who are delusional. And that encouragement just encourages that delusion. It's American Idol Syndrome. Right? Some people may be told, you don't sing well. Right? But my mom said I did. Of course she did. Right? The same kind of mindset. Same kind of mindset. How are you using it? Some of you this morning, as you're thinking about this, here's, here's, here's the challenge that you're going to face. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can learn to use your words. You can be better at using them in hand. If you don't have a relationship with God, you may even get to the point where you use your words better than some people who do have a relationship with God. No doubt. But that doesn't change the heart. And you may learn to control some of your words, but if your heart's not changed, that's really what you need to be concerned about. You may, you may learn not to sound angry when you speak, but are you harboring that anger? Are, 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 you, are you harboring that bitterness? See, that's something that God helps with. When we trust in Christ, He takes that sinful nature of ours, that corrupt nature of ours, and He, he puts it to death and He says, I'm giving you something new. I'm bringing you to life. So you've been operating out of spiritual death. You've been operating out of what's just natural to you, but I want to give you something that's supernatural. I want to give you something that you can operate in that goes against the sin that's in you. It makes you new. He gives you life. And He gives you His Spirit. It takes permanent residence in you and then starts to work on us. See, that's the beautiful thing about God is when He calls us as His children and when we respond to His call and we trust in Christ, He's committed to us. He's committed to continue the process that He's began in us. And while we may struggle now because we're not perfect, I've sh- I shared with you some of the struggles I've had just this week with my words. I'm not perfect. But I know God's committed to continue to work on my heart. And I know He's committed to continue to work on me as a person so that He can continue to conform me to the image of His Son, Christ, so that I would look more and more like Him. 
You see, that's God's promises. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. So maybe you're in a marriage, or maybe you're in a relationship, and you're going, I want to be that better husband. I want to be that better wife. I want to be one that builds up my, my husband or my wife. But I can't seem to do it. Maybe you need to look inside and say, God, have I, have I even gotten that life that you offer? Because, man, maybe I'm operating on a death. And Proverbs 18 says, in the power of the tongue is death and life. How do you expect to use your words for life if you don't even have it? How do you expect to use your words to, to give others grace if you've not received the grace that God gives you for the Christ? So some of you this morning, it's responding to God's call to you to be part of His family. And He sent Christ to die in your place to live the life that you and I couldn't live so that He would die in the place that you and I should have died in, taking the penalty we deserve, and there's an exchange that takes place. I get what Christ earned. He gets what I earned. It's not fair. It's what God did. It's gracious. Some of you, that's where you're at tonight. Others of you, that's things over this here. Maybe you're praying to be God. I have some word issues. And now I understand I have some heart issues. Show that to me. God, help me to slow down in the way I use my words. Help me, God, to use my words for the benefit of others. To have value to others. So wherever you're at this morning, let's deal with the Lord there as best we can.
those people this morning. I open their heart to get to respond to the gospel and trust in Christ and receive that knowledge and start to be changed. God, protect our marriages, grow our marriages, and start with each one of us here. And do it for your glory and so that others would be pointed to you in the prayer of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, right after we dismiss here, if you would like some prayer on something, we're going to have a few people available to pray with you. If you're available to pray, just maybe one or two of you back there uh, by the, the table with the lamp on is great. Just go up to them and let them know I'd like prayer on this. Maybe it's pray for my marriage. Maybe it's pray for something completely unrelated. That's totally fine. But just let them know. Maybe it's I want to know more about trusting in Christ. I'd be glad to visit with you about that. Or, hey, I just trusted in Christ. So what's next? Uh, they can help you with all that. And if you're visiting for the first time, if you have a few minutes right after, we'd love to say hello, shake your hand, maybe answer any questions you might have at the moment. Next to these doors hang a right. There's a table in the hallway there with a lamp next to it. We, we've got some gifts there. If you haven't received that, we'd love to visit with you there as we dismiss. All right, if you're able, please stand and we'll dismiss. May God gave you the beautiful gift of communication, the gift of words. The words are powerful. They contain the power of life and death. Go out from here and be people who use your words to speak life to the glory of God. And do that in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next week.